Hello and welcome back to the Hardwood Hoops podcast. This is episode 38 and it is our free agency special. Uh, later on in the podcast, me and Ben will be grading some free agent moves and discussing some winners and losers. But first, before that, we're joined by uh, a frequent guest, Joe Holbert, to, to discuss some top free agent moves. How are you doing, Joe? Yeah, I'm good. How about you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good, thanks. Um, how has the off-season been for you? I know you cover a lot of teams and stuff, so I imagine you've been very busy in terms of watching all these moves. Yeah, I mean, obviously, on the first day, I was kind of waiting around for something to happen, and then uh, it's kind of typical that I write the piece on Bogdanovich, and they uh, <laughs> they, they fluff that move. I mean, the, the player analysis stuff is still accurate, but I kind of uh, geared it towards how he'd work on the Bucks, and they did a sign and trade without the sign. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, you know, I've just been, I wasn't expecting Dallas, obviously the main team I covered, to do anything extravagant. So, yeah, I've just kind of been putting some research together on the couple of players they did sign and hopefully to get some articles out in the next week. Yeah, did you like the the draft that they had? Because I know you're going to focus on those those teams more than, than any other. So what did you think of their draft class? Yeah, I, I kind of liked it. Um, you know, the Josh Green pick, it wasn't um, also a flashy. It wasn't something yeah. that... But Dallas had the best recorded offense in NBA history by the numbers, so they didn't need another flashy player. They needed a, not just a good defender, an actual difference maker, because I don't think Dallas has a single defender, other than maybe Beret, who I think is awful. They just don't have anyone who can disrupt and that's why they were last in the league in steel so they needed him and I like Tyrell Terry I think in a Rick Carlisle offense because Rick's always had great success with sort of undersized guards guys like Berea uh, Yogi Ferrell guys like that he's always done well with them Trey Burke as well at the end of last year Terry's yeah. better than all three of those guys uh, he's more skilled obviously not going to be the best defender but I think they did a really good job with their draft yeah, I think Carlisle's quite good at hiding uh, bad defenders, especially if there's only one bad defender in a unit. The issue is last year when we were kind of fielding out units of three or four defenders that are probably below average. That's when you get into a bit of a, a tricky situation on that end of the floor, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, uh, Doncic was picked on defensively. Teams were looking for him in switches. And when your best player is being picked on, it does make it very hard to put guys like, you know, Trey Burke. <laughs> Uh, JJ Barea, Seth Curry. It's hard to put all those guys in. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's move on then. We're going to talk about uh, top five free agent signings, uh, the worst five free agent signings, and our top five trades. This is all Joe's list. Uh, we're going to go through and kind of discuss each move. So why don't we start on a positive note and go with the, the top five free agent signings? Uh, let's start with uh, Danilo Gallinari then. Three years, 61.5 million deal with Hawks. What do you think about the the level of pay? Do you think it's a bit of an overpay for a team that, that probably has to overpay players to get them to join? Or you think the value is about right for Danilo? I think the value is about right. You know, they I've always said with Atlanta that they are, that despite their record for the last two years, they do want to win now. And I think the Capella trade proved that. And Gal, the thing with Gallinari is you know, a big part of building depth is having guys who can play multiple positions. Because if you think about it, if you've got a guy who can play the three and the four well, you don't need to sign someone for one of those positions. Um, so he's flexible. And obviously what he's good at fits well alongside Trey because he's he's obviously a good shooter, but he can, he can handle the ball a little bit as well. He can drive to the basket. And I think he's going to get a lot of open looks. I think that's what Atlanta have done. They know that Trey gets a lot of attention because he can shoot from anywhere. And he's probably... If he's not the best passer in the league, he's top two or three, in my opinion. Um, so just surrounding him with guys who can not only shoot, but also have the speed inside. I think it's just they're surrounding him with efficient players and they sh probably are going to be one of the best offences next year. Yeah, what do you think about that move defensively? Do you think it hurts them even more? Or do you think Galnaro with his size, if he plays a little bit more than three, you think you can give them a little bit of size that, that maybe they lack when, when Trey's playing at the guard, obviously? Yeah, I mean, the thing with Gallinari is I don't think he's like, he's not an awful defender. He's just, as I said earlier with Dallas, he's not a difference maker, but he's not going to, he's not going to tank your defense, in my opinion. I think they're going, I think, I imagine they'll start him at the three with Collins and Compella at the four and the five. Uh, Collins is a good fit at the four defensively because he times his rotations uh, quite well. He gets a lot of weak side blocks. Then you've got Capella inside. I think 
I think the size is what their GM Travis Schlenk is trying to do to protect Trey. Because if they go small ball all the time with like Hunter and Reddish, um, I, I kind of question, you know, how that's going to help Trey. But I think having that extra size in there will, will be a good way of covering him. But obviously, Trey has got to start buying in on that end because he's just, I think, an unwilling defender at times. I agree, and I'm not sure he's a hideable either. And it's what you said about Luka Doncic. If he's your best player, uh, people are just going to pick on Trey Young all the time, and there's a big difference when you're his size compared to someone like a Luka. Um, what do you think about the the two young guys then, in terms of Hunter and Reddish? Do you think this Gallinari move will, will kind of lead them to, to playing a lot less minutes, or do you think they might move on? Because I know they've actually got quite a deep roster now, maybe too many players if you look at the, the size of the team. Um, I think part of it is that we're going to see how good they are because last year they were just getting their minutes by default because their competition was, who did they have? They had Trevion Graham, Stad Vince Carter. I mean, as much as we all love Vince, he's 40. He's not much yeah. competition. So they're going to have to earn their minutes. I'm more worried for Hunter than Reddish. I think Reddish, what he brought last year, uh, his defence is already very, very good. And that's kind of surprising to me. Uh, but he was a real difference maker. The thing with Hunter is, I think it's the only bad move the GM has made because he traded a lot of picks to get him. And I, look, he's fine; he's a solid player. But you—he's the sort of guy that you would sign in free agency for like three years, fifteen million dollars, you yeah. know. And that's yeah, that's fine. And I, I think at some point, I do expect Atlanta to package some of these assets to get another star in because I was thinking about it the other day. I think they've got the best offer to give for a star in the entire league because you've got uh, John Collins, who I think can become a star if he's not. I think he's close already, to be honest. So if they did opt to give up him, then you've got Hunter and Reddish. You've got Herter as well, who we've not mentioned. He's a good player. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be Michael Jordan, but he's a guy who I could see him averaging 18, 19 points a game on good efficiency. So... They've got a lot of guys they can package. And I think with Hunter and Reddish, I imagine this year that we're going to see really how good they are because they're going to have to earn their minutes. And they're up against, they're not just up against vets, they're up against some really good players in that rotation. Yeah, I think the Hawks are definitely a, a shout for that 8 7 seed now in the East, um, making it harder for those worst teams to get anywhere near it that we've seen in the playoffs the last few years. So that, that's probably a good thing for the league. Um, a bit sad that Ganlari didn't sign for the Mavs, but that's me being biased. Uh, so let's move on to the next one then. Uh, so Derek Jones Jr., who left the Heat, he signed a two-year, $19 million deal with the Trailblazers. Uh, I believe the second year is a player option, which makes sense with the amount of money that teams have got for, for next offseason. Uh, why did Derek Jones make your list? I know he had a bit of a, a poor end to the season last year in Miami. Yeah, I, I really buy the tools he has. You know, he's he's rangy. Uh, he can shoot a little bit. He's just a versatile guy. And I think Portland have always been at their best. Obviously, we know Dame and CJ are not great defensively. I think they've been at their best having two defensive wings who can switch a little bit. And I think, obviously, we're going to talk about the Covington move later. But I think Jones fits into that as well. Uh, I expect him to start for sure. I think I just... the, the I'm not a big fan of uh, Neil Olshay, the... Um, the Portland Trailblazers GM, but one of the things I like that he does is he sort of takes chances on guys that have a couple of little things about them, and I think Jones fits this. You know, he's efficient. He needs he needs to become a more consistent shooter, but I think the mechanics are definitely there. He's a 78% free throw shooter, only 28% from three, but I think because he can shoot free throws, we could see those numbers creep up a little bit in the right system. I think he's just landed in a much better spot than he was in before. Yeah, I think the fact if he decides to opt in for that second year, they've got him at a good value as well, haven't they? In terms of his age and kind of ceiling on the move, for a team like Portland who have struggled to get talent alongside those two guards for the last three or four years, really, uh, I think it just adds a little bit more to their wing play and they don't have to rely on Carmelo to play so much at the three and the four. Yeah, I think Carmelo's going to come off the bench, which, you know, I'll say this, it's about time. You know, because he's always been uh, resistant to that idea. But the thing with him is, like, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful because I know he's a popular player and I know that people really like him. But I remember kind of in the bubble, he had a couple of good games. And people were like, oh, you all need to apologize. And I was thinking, OK, let me look at the stats. I don't need to apologize. Like, he's fine. You know, he had a couple of good games, but 
I don't think he was a game changer for Portland, in my opinion. I don't, you know, I think everything that has been said about him is accurate. He need, he's, st- he's still a good shooter. You never lose your shooting ability. You'll have that forever. You could, you know, you could go and get Jeff Hornacek and he's probably going to still at 40% from three. He's not going to be able to move. But <laughs> the thing with Melo is like he, he just needs to become that spot up shooter who can make some tough shots when needed. But the issue is, is he's kind of always demanded the ball in his hands at key moments and it's just not worked for him since since I would say he left he left his prime in the New York Knicks. Yeah, I think him, Gary Trent Jr. and a Rodney Hood sort of bench is quite good for scoring. I'm not sure how good they'll be defensively, but um I think that would be still be good scoring off the bench. Um let's go on to the next one then. Uh Christian Wood, three year forty one million deal with the Houston Rockets. This surprised a few people because Christian Wood was well-liked across, uh, across the NBA, and people thought that one of the smaller teams might sign him because of their higher cap space, but he decided to go with the Rockets. What, what do you think about the fit for the team, and does it kind of depend if they lose Harden? If they lose Harden, is it almost a, a pointless move, or is it the perfect move for a team if they have to rebuild as well? I feel, I hope they don't rebuild for his sake, because I think he's a really good player. I think he showed a lot of flashes in Detroit. He's... he's um just a very smart player very fluid good in the post a little bit of a throwback player in my opinion you know he's yeah. but he's efficient you know i think a lot of the poster players we have i'm looking at guys like jill for they're not good enough to kind of justify the post touches which is a, it's an inefficient shot now as rick carlisle would tell you um but i think i think i was surprised at how little money he got i thought it was a good deal for houston i think if you get him I'm I'm surprised Harden and Westbrook are still there, but like that's not a bad trio to have. I'm not sure it's as good as Capella. I think they should have kept hold of Capella. Um, I think they traded him to accommodate Russ because Russ doesn't have a floater, and obviously Capella doesn't. He doesn't space the floor uh, in terms yeah. of the shooting. So, yeah, I, I like the Wood signing. It was probably my favorite in terms of value. Um, I was surprised, to be honest, to see him go there. He might just be thinking, I guess, go and play with James Harden. But I'd be thinking if I was him, well, how long am I going to get to play with James yeah, Harden? You know, is it, is it going to be 10 games or is it going to be 10 years? Hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good sign. I think he was one of the few bright spots for the Pistons. I think he'll um, he'll probably start at their five then. if they, Or you think they might go Cousins at the five and Wood at the four? Interesting because you know they do still, I believe they do still have PJ Tucker, so yeah, they do. Yeah, I'm kind of intrigued to what they do there because I don't think I would put Wood at the center defensively. Um, he's definitely shown some flashes, but I just don't think I don't think that would go well. But actually, if you kind of put him at the four and keep Tucker at the five, you've got that extra size in there because Wood's 6'10, uh, he's quite rangy as well. You know, you could have him coming across on the help side rotations. You know, I think there's a lot they can do there. I'm kind of interested to see how Steven Silas um, makes this work. But I think I think with Wood, they'll use him kind of like they use Jeff Green. as It'll be a different offense because obviously Mike D'Antoni's gone. But in terms of him being like the chess piece, you know, the guy that they'll use to attack switches, they'll run little handoffs with him at the elbow, little pick and rolls. I think he's going to be the guy who kind of replaces Jeff Green, but it's obviously better than Green. Although Green uh, did have a good season last year, but I, I'm really excited by this signing. Yeah, I think the way that they play and the way that James Harden's known for those kickouts of the corners, uh, that could change a little bit with, like you said, the offensive scheme changing. But if they do keep parts of it, I think Wood could get a lot of open corner threes. And that's something that last year he kind of flourished in. Um, for a 6'10 player, he's got good shooting, which helps a team like Houston, I think. Yeah, the the thing I'm interested to watch from him is obviously with Mori and D'Antoni gone is, you know, how does the offense change? Because, you know, Wood's percentages were good, but the sample size is quite small. Now, I do believe he's good. he's a competent shooter, but I'm interested to see if he stays at kind of 39 or if he drops to sort of like 34, 35, which is still good. But obviously, that's a big change in kind of how you're going to design an offense. Because if a guy's a 40% three-point shooter, you want him taking as many looks as possible. So... I think that'll be interesting to see, you know, will Steven Silas up his volume or will he kind of keep him at, at two per game? I think that'll be what's interesting to watch. Yeah, and I think strangely, if they do they do get rid of Harden at least, I think you could see Wood actually been almost a star player of this team, which maybe not what he's going there to be, but in terms of his career move for his next contract, that's probably not bad for someone who's been, I think it's his sixth NBA team as well. So uh, I don't think it's a bad career move for him personally. 
Um, cool, let's go on to the next one again then. Uh, fourth on the list, Serge Ibaka. Uh, he's gone from the Raptors to, to sign with the Clippers for a two-year, $19 million deal. Again, the second year as a player option, so he's got that flexibility uh, to go next season when there's a bit more cap space around the league. Um, what, why did this one make your list? Did you just think he was a, a huge upgrade on Harrell, which is something that, that's my opinion, but what's yours? Yeah, I think for all the talk, you know, the Lakers had a great free agency, but I do think that the Clippers signed the best player of all of them, but obviously depth is uh, really important. So I do think Ibaka took a step back defensively, but I actually prefer him for what he's going to bring on offense. He's a legitimate floor spacer. Now, Harrell spaces internally because he's because he's rapid. The issue with him is is teams just pick on him and pick on him at the other end, and he's kind of a volume scorer, Harrell. So if if you're giving Harrell ten shots in a playoff game, that's ten shots that could go to Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, uh, depending on what version of PG you're going to get. But <laughs> I think with the back, he he stretches the floor, and I, I felt watching the Clippers last year, and again, it was hard to know if it was Dot Rivers or the fact that they just had a lot of guys who want to go one on one but they were a little bit congested. I didn't like the player movement or the ball movement. I thought it was very stagnant and they were kind of just relying. Even in the Dallas series, and Dallas are not a great defensive team, but a lot of the shots they were making were just really tough shots. And I think when they came up against Denver, who were a much better defensive team, I think those tough shots weren't falling. But I think now with a backer, there's more space to work with. And I think he's going to help them out a lot. Do you think he'll start at the five or you think he'll start ahead of Morris at the four? I think he'll come off the bench to be honest. I think they're going to I think they like Zubac and I do as well I think he's very underrated and then you've kind of got, they'll keep Morris as well the thing with Morris is like, I feel like he's a guy who's got a lot of um, what's the word I'm looking for I feel like he's got a lot of influence more than people think and he's just signed I think four years, 64 million I yeah. don't think I don't think he's going to be wanting to come off the bench myself. So I think I think they'll <laughs> no. put it back in. But he he could very feasibly in the playoffs end up playing more minutes than Zubac. Yeah, and I guess it's who finishes the games, especially down the stretch, rather than who starts the game. So I think Ibaka is going to be one of their five finishing those big playoff games, unless they're playing a, a huge team, maybe like the Lakers. But I think Ibaka could still still get in there his age and still guard quite well against bigger centers. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, he's about. Yeah, I keep using the term chess piece, and it is it is cheesy to use, but I kind of mean it in the sense that like putting a backer at the four or the five, it changes it changes things for the other team because if the backers at the five, you know they're going five out, and you're gonna kind of probably gonna have to change your personnel. So, for example, last year in the series against Dallas, when Rick Carlisle put Boban Majanovic in the game. Dot Rivers had no counter, you know, just because Boban was so big. But if you were to put Ibaka at the five, you you can't put Boban in the game because he's going to have to defend the perimeter and that's not going to go very well. So <laughs> I think, I just think it helps him a lot. And I, I was kind of, he's like a big upgrade on Jermichael Green, who I like, by the way, but like he's a much better version of Jermichael Green. Yeah, and I think the value is really good as well. Like, same again, he might not stay for the full two years, but if he does, it's a $19 million deal, which... Uh, Montrez got with with the Lakers, so for me, I think they've added someone at probably a slightly lower price than what he's worth. So that's always helpful for a team that's managing the cap. Uh, and then the last one, on your top five list, is another LA signing. So where's Matthew signing for the Lakers? This is only a one year deal, but it's three point six million. Uh, what, what is it that makes you like this this deal? Is it a little bit of a Danny Green replacement? Maybe someone who's even more reliable from three? Yeah, I think he's better than Danny Green. I think where's Matthews in this generation? has been so underrated. Um, I think what didn't help is when he went to Dallas and they paid him to kind of be a star and they were running. I remember them running a lot of post-ups for him. It's just like, you know, he's a 3 and D guy, but the thing with Dallas is they've always had to overpay for free agents. So when a guy's earning 20 million, you kind of have to use him as a 20 million player if you're a coach. But he's he was... When Damian Lillard started really taking the steps, Matthews was a big part of that because he covered him defensively and allowed him to go and flourish on the offensive ends. I just think he's a better version of Danny Green. And I, he's a guy, you know, I don't have super attachments to many players, but he's a guy I'd really love to see win a ring. Obviously, last year it was Dwight Howard, the guy I really wanted to see win one. I would win one if possible because I just think he's 
he's always a guy that's I think he's been given a raw deal since the Dallas days I remember uh, some Mavericks fans not really liking him and it wasn't his fault you know he was just overpaid for for kind of what they were getting from him but he's he's an excellent defender I think he was I think he other than Ben Simmons he spent the most time last year defending who are classed as star players so you know he's a guy that you can legitimately go right we're up against Bradley Beal today uh he's your man and that helps LeBron and AD as well because they can play a bit more free safety the Lakers defense was already a joke and it's just gotten even better yeah I think any Warriors fan that listen to this if you want someone who's had an Achilles injury that that gets back to their prime defensively I think Wes Matthews is probably the only example yeah, uh, it took him a little bit of time, didn't it? But after about six, seven months, he kind of really hit hit the end, uh, top end of his gear again in terms of defensive end. That was that was what took so long to come back. But uh, yeah, like you said, last season for the Bucks, he was one of their better defenders, I think, down the stretch. Yeah, and I think for the Bucks, you know, they kind of needed to move on for him because the Bucks need shot creators, as we'll get into later. But I think for the Lakers, who kind of have, don't forget, they got Schroeder now. So what do I think we're talking about later too? But yeah. I just, I just think what they've done. Is just really impressive, you know, to to reshape this roster, and I think Wes is in a better situation than in Milwaukee. It sounds weird to say that because he had a great season, but like they don't need him to to take shots off the dribble. His job on offense is going to be to move around the perimeter, and LeBron will find him, and he, all he's got to do is put it in. And I think he can do better than Danny Green did. Yeah, I think most Lakers fans would agree with you. They were pretty fed up with Danny Green during the uh, the end of that playoff run. Um, let's move on to the more negative side then. So our worst five free agent signings, uh, starting with the Bucks, who we were just talking about. Uh, they surprisingly signed DJ Augustin to a three-year, thirty-one million deal. Uh, so far, that's no options either. There's no team option in that, as far as we're aware. Uh, and for me, this is one of the ones I shook my head at. I didn't understand this this overpay. Uh, what what's your opinions on it? Do you see just a complete overpay, or you just don't like him as a player in general? So I think. With this, there's obviously the context around it, and this is where I'll get into the parts off season, right? So, Augustine's a good, like he's a solid player. He's efficient. Uh, he has been for a couple of years now, and he's actually can't believe I'm saying this about a 33 year old five foot ten point guard, but <laughs> he's a massive loss for Orlando because they are a team that don't have many efficient creators. They've got good defense, but other than like him and Evan Fournier, they've not really got guys who I would give the ball to. And, you know, to create their own shot. But here's the thing. Now, they've signed DJ Augustine, Bryn Forbes, and Bobby Ports. That's their big three free agency signings. Now, DJ Augustine might, you could make an argument that in the last two years, he has been a better player than Bogdan Bogdanovich. I wouldn't make it, but it's a, I think it's been close. I think what Augustine brings is very good. But the, the Bogdanovich incident, the difference is Bogdanovich has some upside because he's young. He's been on a dead-end franchise playing for some really poor head coaches who don't know how to use his talents properly. DJ Augustine's 33. He's going to be 36, I believe, when his contract ends. He's got no upside. He is what he is or he's going to get worse. There's no in-between. He's not going to get better. He's 33. Bobby Portis is the same. He's a solid role player. You know, Brim Forbes isn't good, by the way. Like, he can shoot, but he's he's not good. The, the Spurs bloggers I speak to absolutely hate it when he's on the floor because literally his defense is shocking. Yeah, I agree. I think him, I don't like Bobby Portis that much either, but that's just a bit of bias. There. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a massive Bobby Portis guy. Like, these are not game changing signings. And here's the thing look, I, I'm a big Bogdanovich fan. I've got his jersey somewhere on, on my rack of jerseys on my right hand side. But. <laughs> he's got real he's I'm not saying he's going to be a star and I'm not saying he's got potential to be a top 10 player but he can be a top 40 top 50 player which would be massive for the Bucks this is a massive L I think the GM should have been fired after the Bogdanovich incident I think it's that bad because you've done a sign and trade without the sign it's in the name <laughs> sign and trade Do you, like it's it's, it's unheard of isn't it really it's, it's mine though I can't believe it and this is the thing Giannis will be looking around the league, and a guy I don't usually get into the narratives, but I'm going to here. LeBron wanted AD and got him. Harden wanted Russ and got him. Uh, Steph and Dre wanted KD. Bob Myers went out and got him. I know that was a very unique scenario. Giannis wanted Bogdan Bogdanovich, who was literally available 
as a sign and trade free agent. Everyone knew the Kings didn't want to bring him back because they just drafted Tyrese Halliburton and they've got Buddy Heald on a twenty million pound a year, sorry, dollar a year contract. They they literally had it all in their hands and they blew it. And it's not even like he's gone right. I want Chris Paul. He wants Bogdan Bogdanovich, a guy who's never been an All Star, and they couldn't deliver. It's embarrassing, you know. I think, and he had real upside. He's a good player. He's a good shooter. He's limited because he's very slow, but he's still good. And he would have been, I I, I would have had the Bucks as the favourites if they'd got Bogdanovich. This look, they're still going to be good. They're probably going to be the one seed, but we know what the Bucks' flaws are now. Is that in the postseason? Their offense goes to crap because Chris Middleton can't get to the rim. Giannis can't shoot. I know Bledsoe's gone, but I don't think Drew Holiday is going to help them much with their offensive issues. So they've taken a massive L, and that that that's why the Augustine signing is bad. He's not a bad player, but you take the context around it, and it's just an awful move. Yeah, I agree. And I think the fact it's three years doesn't help. It gives you such little flexibility for a team that's already not going to have a lot of flexibility if they do manage to keep Giannis on the Supermax. Um, so yeah, I just completely agree with you. And a, a lot of it's been kind of missed on people that are the casual basketball fan, but apparently Bogdan and Giannis are actually friends uh, off off the court. So he actually knows him off the court and really wanted to bring him to the team. It's not a case of, oh, who can we get? He's the only player. It was a case of, oh no, that's the player that I want. And they were like, okay, we'll go get him. And then they failed to get him. Uh, and it would not shock me now if he left. Personally, that's my opinion. I thought he was going to sign all this whole time, um, but I'm slowly disagreeing with myself there. I think he could walk because of a situation like this. Yeah, I, I was just actually just on my timeline as well, and someone just said that, that, you know, sort of an insider thing is that the Bucks' confidence in long-term commitment has gone after the botch Bogdanovich trade, and I'm not surprised. Because, like, he's not a star Bogdanovich, but he's... He's got the upside, and he's. I think something that's being undercounted is Bogdanovic when he plays for Serbia is incredible. Like he yeah, takes yeah. it to another level. Giannis will obviously know all about that. So I just think it's. I couldn't believe what I'm seeing. To be honest, I just didn't think an NBA team could be. It's like it's amateurish is the only word I can use. That can't happen. You know, I think someone should have lost their job for that, especially with the stakes, because Giannis is the. Best player they've had since they had Kareem and Oscar Robertson in the seventies. Oh, yeah, he's you know they had Ray Allen, but like this guy's different level to Ray Allen. He's different level. He's a generational talent, and they're going to lose him because they couldn't sign a restricted free agent who the team did not want to match. That's the worst part of this. Everyone like if they'd offered him a sheet and Sacramento match, look, there's nothing you could do. And if Yanis held that against the team, that's his problem. There's nothing they yeah. can do. But he. Everyone knew that he they didn't want to re-sign him. So it's yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, it is. And as a Mavs fan, it gives me more confidence that we could see a Giannis Luca partnership in twelve months, which would be absolutely crazy. Um another team that botched uh free agency that we're gonna talk about is the Pistons. We'll we'll start by talking about the, the sign in we wanted to talk about, which was Jeremy Grant, but I know you're gonna get into all the Pistons moves. Uh, so Grant signed a three year sixty million dollar deal with the Pistons. Uh, I think he was their fourth power forward or small forward, depending on how you look at him. Uh, they then signed three centres, including the draft. Uh, so what are your thoughts on on this move then and, and kind of the whole Pistons off-season? Yeah, Jeremy Grant, right? Like, I know he was a popular player uh, during the playoffs. I think he's a solid wing, and I think he was good in Oklahoma City when they played that defence where they basically switched everything apart from Stephen Adams. He's not a $20 million uh, a year player. He had that game in the playoffs. I think he dropped, I want to say, like 30 or 40 in one of the last games against the Lakers. And I said to people, I said, he's going to get overpaid for that game. So here's the thing. $20 million a year for a guy who, for me, can't create his own shot. He's a, he's a decent shooter. I think that's the thing. He's not an amazing shooter. He's a decent shooter. And if he was like a 41 point. 41% three-point shooter, I think, okay, I can see what they're doing. But the other side of this is he he doesn't, for me, fit the timeline. You know, I don't understand what it is they're doing at all. I think you've still got Blake Griffin there, and I think Grant could fit at the three alongside Blake if he could get healthy. But, like, I just don't understand why, you know, the draft they had, they chose young players. Both, both of their first-round picks were born in 2001, which just makes me feel old. But... <laughs> 
they kind of are going young with their draft and then they sign I would consider Grant a win now player. Like he's the type of guy I thought he would sign with someone like I thought my Timbles would be interested in him. I thought Dallas might take a lot. I thought teams like that who are kind of Dallas on on the outside looking in, but those are the kind of teams I thought would go for him. The Pistons aren't. I don't think they're trying to make the playoffs. I think their draft showed that. I think the fact they've gotten rid of a lot of their assets has shown that, and they're kind of building a young roster. So I just didn't understand. They might be thinking, well, we can flip him at the deadline, but here's the thing. If you sign someone to a free agency contract just so you can flip them, you lose your credibility with future free agents because free agents are all about security. That's what they want, financial and physical security. But if you're just signing guys so you can trade them, that's great on 2K where the players don't have feelings. I do it all the time. I'll sign a free agent just so I can go and trade them so I can get more assets back. It doesn't work like that in real life. you know. So I don't really understand what it is they're doing because if they do trade him, future free agents not that detroit is a big destination to sign but they're gonna think well actually though they signed jeremy grant 20 mil per year and they've just traded him i just i don't understand what they're doing and then you get into like plumley plumley's a good backup center he gets a little a bit of money it's a lot of money for a backup center isaiah stewart that was a weird draft pick um my draft prep scaled down a little bit this year i kind of focused on the top 30 when they drafted him i didn't know who he was Mm-hmm. Not that not that I'm some oracle of the draft, but like, you know, I reached out to a couple of my draft guys and they were like, No, that's a terrible pick. Yeah. You know, that's he's kind not, of consensus, not, I think, isn't it? Yeah, he was by far the worst pick of the first round. I mean, you know, he, he may prove us wrong, but I just didn't understand, you know, kind of what they were doing. And uh, they signed I they did sign Oak for as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. So they got Oak for Plumley, Stewart. Uh, and they did already have a centre that I've forgotten who it is now, but yeah, so they, they signed all three of those in, in a week space. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I couldn't understand it because I kind of thought Detroit were going in the right direction. Killian Hayes is a great pick. I know yeah. some guys, some respected guys who had him number one in the class. Uh, I nearly <laughs> did. I was close. I pushed him down a little bit at the end, but that's a great pick. But then they do all this. I don't, I don't understand the direction they want to go in. You know, you can you can mix vets with young players, but they've got to be the right type of vets. And like Blake Griffin's a guy who I think he's good enough to win now if he's healthy. But now you've drafted two 19 year olds to play with him, and then you've got all these like, you know, backup centers that you've overpaid. They just, and they've still got Trevor Ariza, I believe, as well. Um, yeah, they have. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. I really don't. Yeah. Trevor Ariza and Derek Rose as well. Um... I agree with you. I think that the whole free agent signing uh, for the future is overlooked in terms of he, Jeremy Grant wasn't a top free agent, as in he's not a top, top star, but he's a very good player. And if you're a team like the Pistons who wants to attract these good players to come over to you and overpay them a bit, and then you just end up trading them, I think you're going to really hurt and try and do that in the future. And players just aren't going to want to come to you and they can just sign for a number of other teams that are struggling down the bottom of the league. Um, but one thing I did want to ask is what, what are your thoughts on the move for him personally? Because allegedly he got offered the exact same monetary deal with the Nuggets, but he thinks he'll get more shots in Detroit. What are your thoughts there? Because to me, that's just mind-boggling. Because to sit and lose probably, what, they're going to win 30 games this season at most, 25 games, and then you just you, well, you could do the same playing for the Nuggets and maybe get less shots. But I don't understand that for him either. I think the thing is, I think he believes he he's deserves more shots and he can take them. Like he can have good games, but he just doesn't have for me the complete offensive game. It's where I can say, right, we're going to give him 15, 20 shots a night. He just hasn't got that burst, that creativity. He can get hot, but like it, for him, he's obviously put in. He wants the shot attempts before winning, and you know. I, I'm not going to hate on a player. Every player has their reasons for doing everything. But, like, I don't think he is good enough to take that many shots. I think he was at his best last year when he was doing less on offense. You know, I think when he started to be asked to do a little bit more, because Denver did lack creators outside of the Murray-Jokic pick and roll, I think that was when he started to struggle. And also, the the um, defensive numbers with him at the four instead of Millsap were not good. They were not good at all. And it wasn't a small sample size. Basically, when Graham was at the three and Millsap was at the four, Denver were, I believe, the best defensive team in the league. When Millsap was benched and they put Grant at the four and then they put MPJ at the three, so that I'd call that small. 
um, they their defense was really bad. It was like league worst, and I think that's because you know he's just not as impactful a defender as people think. Like he's good, he's rangy, but I think at the four, I don't think he's dynamic enough. So this is the thing for me: he's a specific role player, and I think when you start asking him to do more, I think he loses his value. Yeah, and that's probably why a lot of the bigger teams are maybe scared off a deal, really, when someone with that sort of limited upside wants that much money. Um, but yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, and another another uh, bad free agent signing that you all know a lot about is Mr. Jeff Teague. Oh, uh, one year deal with the Celtics. I've seen a lot of Celtics fans being quite happy about this, thinking they're upgrading their second unit, uh, even though they've drafted, I think, four guards in the last two drafts in the first two rounds, maybe five. Um yeah, why don't you tell everyone why Jeff Teague is such a bad deal for the Celtics? Yeah, Jeff Teague isn't good. I mean, I want to shout out my guy Mo Muncy because he's the only Celtics fan I've spoken to, actually, and the Boston Brit, who are not happy with the signing. I think people are just like, well, he was a starter, so that means he's good. That's not how it works. Uh, so here's the issue with him. So we signed him in 2016, I want to say, or 17, under Tom Thibodeau. There were better options out there, but we like Kyle Lowry, but obviously Lowry wanted to re-sign. So he was who we ended up with. But the issue with Jeff Teague is he his stats look fine. You'll look at his stats and you go, right, these are good. But this is the other side of using stats. You've got to look at the context. And Teague's issue is he holds the ball. So he's quite crafty. Uh, he's actually a little bit like Ed Bogdanovich in the sense that and he gets towards the paint. He's got a variety of floaters. He's got a couple of moves inside. He's Jeff Teague. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be holding the ball for that long. Boston fans are not going to like him. He's. I imagine on the bench they're just going to run loads of pick and rolls with him. But he's just not good enough for me to give that high usage to. I just think he's not a good fit alongside Tatum and Brown because he holds the ball for too long. And here's the other side of it. Obviously, there has been worries about Kemba Walker's knees. Well, if Kemba Walker's knees are as bad as people say they are, the next time is Jeff Teague. So there's, I think there's a very real chance that by March, Jeff Teague is the starting point guard for the Boston Celtics, which is worrying because, <laughs> yes, he can space the floor a bit, but this, is, this was always my argument against Harrison Barnes. Spacing the floor and being a good shooter doesn't matter if you sort of pump fake your way out of the threes all the time so you can take all these tough shots. Like, the other part of spot of shooting is actually shooting the shot. This was the Danny Green argument in the finals, that yes, he's open all the time, but he didn't have the confidence to take them. You're the shooter, you've got to take them, and team has got to have the same... He's got to have the same mentality. Yeah, and just a, a, a quick... Um... Nugget on Teague, his career earnings are nearly $100 million now. And if you watch him play basketball, you would not know that that is a $100 million player. I think about, I think over half of that was from the Timberwolves. You know, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We 19 were, a year for two years with you, and another 10 on a third year. And I think the thing with him was like we were better when Tyus Jones was a starting point guard, not because Tyus Jones is necessarily a better player. That the term NBA Twitter is used is in a vacuum. And what that means is, yeah, if you lined them up 1v1, Teague's the better player. But Tyus was better for the team because the ball moved more. When he was open, he shot the ball. He didn't, you know, take his time over it. And he was a better playmaker. Teague's a limited playmaker. I just, I did not like the signing. I liked the Tristan Thompson signing, but uh, I didn't get the Teague signing. I was surprised they did it because... I consider Danny Ainge quite smart. He must be seeing something I'm not because I watched him for three years and it just wasn't enjoyable. Yeah, well, I think Danny Ainge is quite smart, but he's getting a bit of a bad reputation about picking up poor point guards that, that can't play. Um, I'd be worried about this if I was a Celtics fan just because you paid Tatum that max a couple of days ago and, and you've got someone like Jeff T that could potentially be taking the ball out of his hands unnecessarily. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be a little bit worried. Um and last on our worst five free agent signings then is Mr. Jordan Clarkson. Uh, thankfully, Ben's not with us because he loves Jordan Clarkson irrationally. I don't know why, but he does. I think it's from his Cavs days. Um, so it's a four-year, $51.5 million deal with the Utah Jazz. They were kind of backed into a corner because their bench is just horrendous in terms of yep. offensive production. Um, but why did this one make the list? Is it purely the value rather than the player itself? Or is it the years as well just now that they're kind of shorthanded themselves? It's the value in the years. I think he's a 
decent player to be honest like I've kind of always I liked him on the Cavs teams I thought he brought something that they didn't have he's a good he's one of the best sixth men in the league but that's a lot of money for a sixth man who doesn't play any defense and it doesn't project to be a starter like there are some sixth men this is the argument I have for Schroeder Schroeder's a starting caliber player yes he was the sixth man on the OKC Thunder but like He's good enough to be a starter. You know, he's been the starting point guard in playoff series for Atlanta, and he, you know, had some good series. Um, Clarkson doesn't, for me, project as a starting player. You know, he's he's good off the bench, but that's a lot of money and that's a lot of years, and I think it handicaps you. The only caveat to it is is that, not to contradict myself earlier with what I was saying about Detroit, but it is a tradable contract. If 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 Utah ever went down the road of kind of you know, wanting to just give it up at the trade deadline. I don't think they will because I think Quinn Snyder's too good for them to ever be bad. But if they did go down that road, there's contenders who would want a player like him because he's going to bring you volume scoring. Even if the defense is bad, he's going to bring you something off the bench. So, like, I was I kind of looking down the list and there weren't any that were absolutely terrible after the ones I've just sort of gone through with you. But the Clarkson one stuck out because of how big the contract was in terms of years and the commitment but he's you know he's not a bad player I just think also with Utah people you got to remember really good bearers eligible for for a big contract quite soon um Donovan Mitchell's obviously I believe he's been paid so yeah he's just signed the max yeah they've, and they're paying uh Bogdanovich quite a lot which he's worth it by the way but when you add all those contracts and then you say right but we're committing um 14 million a year to Jordan Clarkson you know that kind of that's kind of the odd one out if you were on 2k and you were looking down the cap sheet you were like oh I need to get rid of someone you would pick Jordan Clarkson is the way I look at it yeah I agree and I'm a bit worried about them overpaying Gobert next offseason I think they'll be better off trying to uh, stick him into a trade but that is a a different episode Um, let's go through your top five trades now then Um, go through the details of each one talk about why you like them so and maybe why you didn't like some parts of it. So the Drew Holiday trade first then. Uh, this one looks amazing with the Bogdanovich deal next to it, but doesn't look quite as appealing now. So Milwaukee get uh, Drew Holiday, uh, Denver get RJ Hampton, uh, New Orleans get Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and a load of picks. OKC get a load of picks, and they get Kendrick Williams, Joshua Gray, Darius Miller, George Hill, and someone called Zylan Cheatham, who I don't even know who that is. Um, but what are your thoughts on the Drew Holiday move? Do you think he, he moves a needle at all for Milwaukee on the offensive end, or or you think he's just almost as similar to a Bledsoe? Um, I think the difference between him and Bledsoe is Bledsoe is kind of I consider him an out of control player. Like he just he's good at what he does, Bledsoe, and I think he's being a little bit underrated on Twitter. But like Holiday's a little bit more consistent like with Bledsoe yeah he can go for 41 night and he can shred some of the best defenders in the league you know such as Drew Holiday but Holiday isn't gonna I just remember in the playoffs Bledsoe would like charge into the rim he'd end up against Bam Adebayo and he'd turn around and just chuck up like a fadeaway jump shot that's not what you want Holiday won't do that he's more patient he's gonna play within the sets a little bit more and I think the defense I actually think the defense between them is very close I tweeted that um, last week, that Bledsoe is an excellent defender. He was all NBA level last year. Holiday's good. The difference is Holiday's a little bit bigger. Bledsoe's only six one. Holiday, I believe, is six five. So he can switch on to guards, but sorry to wings. But I'm not sure that matters that much. I the the value for this is what he'll bring on the offensive end. He's a better shooter. He's just a more controlled player. But again, I don't think it. I don't think he really solves some of their core issues. Yeah, I listened to a podcast before we recorded this one and they were talking about how they use that team. Would they go Drew at the, at the two and then start Augustine? So you haven't got Augustine running your second unit and, and the second unit would be very bad defensively with Honiton and DiVincenzo in it. Uh, do you think Holiday would end up starting at the, at the point guard or do you think he'll end up starting at the two guard maybe with an Augustine at, at the one? I'd start Augustine at the one because I think the thing with Augustine is I kind of criticise them I think I criticise the move because of the context around it, but he's efficient and I think he can get to his spots. I think that was the issue with Bledsoe in the playoffs is he couldn't get to his spots because they were just Bam was incredible in that series. Like he was out of this world. One of the best defensive series I've ever seen from a big um but 
that was basically Bledsoe. He'd kind of want to go to the paint because that's his game. He's not a shooter. He never has been and he never will be. But Bledsoe would just charge into the paint and, you know, Bam would be there waiting for him. Well, I think now with Holiday, and if you put him at the two, you've got Augustine, who I think can get to his spots better because he's got a jump shot that he can leverage. But again, I would say, like, if we're talking about the Bucks taking the next step, if you're if the swing you're talking about is DJ Augustine, I think that's very that's a problem. Like he's a he's a solid player, but if he's the guy you're relying on to be the difference between you know blowing it in the second round and getting to the finals, that's that's tough. Yeah, that's really tough. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's an argument to say it's Holiday the best third third player in the league, as in all the championship teams, their third best player is Holiday the best. And he may be the best, but I think when you've got Middleton as your second best, they're still yeah. going to come come up against issues as a three, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. You know, if you were, I think Middleton and Holiday are both threes, is what I would say. Um, yeah. But I, I'm with you on Middleton. Like, He's a guy that I think uh, NBA Twitter loves, and you know, I like him as well. But I also think he's got big flaws as a scorer that aren't picked up on enough. He does lack burst. He can make tough shots. But with Giannis, they need someone, in my opinion, who's more of a three-level scorer. Because Giannis isn't a three-level scorer. He's a dominant, I would say, a two-level scorer. And he's dominant at those areas. But if, you're, if your second-best player is also heavily flawed, then that's, you're going to run into issues. Because the Heat, they could take away specific areas of the floor in a way that they couldn't against the Lakers. So I yeah, think... Great. So I think, you know, for Milwaukee, again, if they had bogey, I'd put them as the favourites because he's a game changer because he can come off those screens and he's a good playmaker as well. He's patient. He sets things up. And I think he could have actually emerged into the second best player on that team. But I just think with the way they are now, uh, to be honest, I think the other reason I liked the bogey trade is I've just said Holiday and Middleton are threes. I think Bogdanovich is as well. So you've got your one who is arguably the best player in the league. I wouldn't have Giannis as the best player. But if you've got three threes, no other team has that, in my opinion. So yeah. if you've got that, yeah, that that's that's a game changer. They're all flawed, all three of those players, but that's you've got enough of them that it's not a problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, especially in playoff time when when almost the, the possessions count even more. And, and the issue was the Bucks were just wasting possessions with players that shouldn't be taking shots and, and arguably with, with the coaching probably shouldn't be on the floor. Um, but we'll have to see now. They've lost a bit of depth, so maybe they'll kind of shorten the rotations. But Coach Bird is not a fan for uh, shortening rotations, so we'll have to see. Uh, the next trade is Mr. CP3 then. Everyone kind of knew he was going to go somewhere. He, he signed with the Suns. Uh, I was a big fan of this deal. Uh, OKC didn't keep nearly any of the players they got. They got back Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, who we'll talk about in a minute, Ty Jerome, uh, and then they got a couple of first-round picks as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the on the CP3 move then? Do you think he's a perfect fit to go next to Devin Booker? Yeah, I do. I think, obviously, Booker's weak, weakness is defence. But the other reason I like it is, and this is where I kind of get annoyed, because last year when the Suns were really good in the bubble, everyone talked about Booker, everyone talked about Aiton and Bridges, but Ricky Rubio was so important to that team because... He's an excellent playmaker. Now, the issue with Rubio is, and what limits him being an elite point guard, is that he's not got much of a scoring threat. He can shoot the odd spot-up jumper, but his percentage goes up and down every year. We don't really know what you're going to get from him. Chris Paul, obviously, you know, it's not hot take. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's got an offensive game to go alongside the playmaking and defense, and that's why this is a game-changer for this Phoenix team. It will be, yeah, he's going to get Booker in the spots he wants like Rubio did. And obviously, he's an elite mid-range scorer. Uh, he's crafty. He can get to the rim with ease. And I just think that mentality to go alongside Booker, that that's some backcourt. They're going to be... Their games are on at really stupid times, Phoenix. Like, they're on... <laughs> yeah, they are. I think they tip off at half two in the morning, which annoys me more than the half three. That's just such an odd time to tip off. But So, obviously, I'll have to catch most of them the next day. But that's going to be a team I'm keeping an eye on because I just think... You know, I think the other side of the move as well is that obviously there have always been rumours that Booker wants to go and play somewhere else. Obviously, because his best friends are D'Lo and Cat, the Minnesota rumours have always come up. And it's always been a case of, well, do Phoenix have enough to keep him there? I've always said they don't. As, as much as I like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, NBA players, they don't think in terms of like, oh, his advanced stats are good. They think in terms of stars. And Booker wants to play along stars. 
alongside Stars, well, the Suns went and got one for him. And I think that's very, very underrated. James Jones, for a young GM, has done a good job making this happen. But I think that shows to them. I think if Booker leaves now, they've done all they can. They've gone and got a first ballot Hall of Fame point guard. They've drafted well. They've signed some good players in free agency. They've built themselves a bench. They have done all they can. If he leaves now, you know, that's there's not a lot that can be put on the front office. But I think, you know, getting a guy like that, it's going to do well to help uh, Booker stick, stick around. Yeah, I agree. And I think his relationship, CP3s, with DeAndre Ayton is only going to help him as a player as well. I think we've seen uh, Chris Paul kind of flourish with bigs over the years. He can get them in almost any spot he wants. He's that good on the offensive end. Uh, and I think Ayton's just going to benefit even more. And and how good he was in the bubbles kind of goes unnoticed a bit because I know Booker's this star player. But DeAndre Ayton really did improve across the year, especially defensively. And I think CP3 can can probably only improve that again. Um, do you see them being a playoff team? I know the West is loaded, but do you think oh, yeah. there's enough in that now? Yeah, I'm at a point now where if I see someone do a playoff prediction without them in it, I will kind of question it because you've got, I think with Booker, you've got now two top 30 players and I think Booker can push more. I think this year Booker was the guy who was going to shoot up people's player rankings because he's going to be winning. You know, now they, they're going to be really good. And I think with Booker now, Look, the defense isn't great, but they've got the guys alongside him who can cover. Paul is a plus defender. Aiton is a plus defender. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is excellent. You know, he's yeah, one yeah. of my best ever draft evaluations. I had him, I think, of three or four in that draft class. A lot of it was because his, a lot of it was statistical because Villanova used him on kind of every play type, and he was amazingly efficient on all of them. And that tells me that he's a smart player. He's a guy who knows his role and he's versatile and everything Phoenix have asked of him, he's done. They've built a really nice roster. They've brought Dario Saric back. They've signed Langston Galloway, who's an underrated bench piece. They're ready to go and they're going to make the playoffs this year. I think they could even push for home advantage. Oh, wow. Suns fans will be very, very happy to hear that. And 76ers fans will not be happy to hear that with the uh, Mikel Bridges trade they made on draft night. Um, let's go on talk about someone you're already speaking about then, Ricky Rubio. Um, one of your favourite players is that probably fair to say I know you like him on Twitter <laughs> yeah I'm a mass yeah he's obviously we've not had many great players on the Timberwolves but he's one of them uh, he's always been underrated as well you know he's I've always felt that he's been undervalued because the league went crazy for shooting but here's the thing the shooting's important but there is more to the game of basketball than shooting it's that if you've got five elite shooters you're probably going to win the championship but you need guys who can glue that all together it's it's another cliche but you need the guy who can find them in their spots and rubio is the best this is the best trade we've done for a long time um not including the delo one because yeah. this is an intelligent trade this is this is telling me that they're aware of delo's flaws and what we need to take them to the next level my worry with this season was that we were just going to give it to delo and he was going to have 40 percent usage and He's too limited a scorer to give 40% usage. But he's a good scorer. Uh, he's crafty. But now with Rubio, we can play him off ball, which he showed flashes of the Warriors when they had Draymond Green running the offense. So this is a really good trade. He's a, he's a he's an elite defender. I will say that now. He is an elite defensive guard. He's a game changer on that end. You can put him against anyone, and he's going to do a job on them. So this he's is a... for next to D'Lo as well, isn't it? Yeah, 100%, because D'Lo is a bottom five defender in the league. He's not as bad as Trey Young, but I mean, he's not good. And I think this is, this is a good fit next to him because he can, Rubio can hit spot of jumpers. He's a great playmaker who allows D'Lo to go and play off ball. And yeah, I, I love this move and there's a bit of sentimentality about it, but like for basketball reasons, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So Ricky Rubio ended up being in uh, OKC for about a day. Uh, when he got traded back to the Minnesota Timberwolves. A couple of first-round pick swap as well. So you've got Jaden McDaniels, who's a player that could be a bust, but I really like. So the deal as a whole as well, when you're getting him, for me, I think that only helps. I'm I'm not quite sure the Malik Beasley move then fitted with uh, having Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards. But yeah, getting Rubio and Jaden, for me, was a really good move. Do you, do you think Jaden will contribute at all from this trade, or do you think he'll just be a G League stash? 
Uh, they'll stash him early, but I think he can contribute down the line. There's flashes there, you know. I think, you know, that he can shoot threes a bit. He's good on the weak side help. You know, there's flashes there and things that fit alongside Carl Anthony Towns and Delo quite well. So I, th- I really kind of, I was pleased on the whole with our off season. Um, I think, but the Rubio move was my favourite because that shows me that the front office are acknowledging the flaws we have as a team. And they're trying to fix them because Rubio's not a star. I was worried they just kind of go for loads of scores, but we needed defense, we needed playmaking, and they brought it in. Perfect. Um, let's talk about another ex Timberwolves then, Robert Covington. Uh, he left the Rockets to uh, sign for the Trailblazers. This is the move that I really liked, even though I do think he's a little bit overrated by some people on draft Twitter, but I still really like Robert Covington. And he was really good in the playoffs last year. So uh, the Houston Rockets traded him for Trevor Reza, who's since left already. Uh, and then they got that first round pick this year and then a first round pick next year as well, protected. So the fact they got two first round picks for a team that are so depleted is a good move for Houston. Um, but what do you think about this move in terms of a Portland, uh, uh, Portland opinion? Do you think it's a, a move that can take them up, up in the rankings for next year? Yeah, I think with Portland, like their off season again, it wasn't flashy, but they don't have the cap room to be flashy. But I, I like, I agree Covington is overrated. But you can still be overrated and good, you know. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of sports people like that, not to name any names. But they're um he's definitely the thing with him is what's overrated is his offense. He's not a great shooter. You know, you, you would think that people who talk about him the way they do would actually look at the shooting percentages. He's not a great shooter. But his defense is game changing and it's game changing in an underrated way because he's not a guy who like when people think of defense, they think of like Bruce Bowen going 1v1. But Covington, what he's great at is off-ball defense. So if you're trying to bring your shooter, if you're trying to bring J.J. Redick off a screen, he's going to fight through that screen and disrupt them. And that's really important because then you force teams to revert to more like isolation ball. And I think for Portland, again, I spoke about Dallas earlier and how they had no difference makers on defense before the moves they made. Portland were kind of the same for me. He's a difference maker because he can blow up sets and that gives you opportunity to get steals, to get deflections and make teams uncomfortable. That's where he's a game changer. And I think the overratedness comes from the fact that he does have flaws. And I just think people do this with players they like is they don't acknowledge the flaws and that's how they become overrated. But, you know, for the defensive end, you've got him and Jones there. That is a lot of length and athleticism. You can disrupt screens. You know, you can switch them on. And I think the NBA now is all about wings. I think teams, you know, guys like Tatum's. I know Zion's not necessarily a wing, but he will play there. But if you have guys who can, if you have wing defenders, yeah, that's really important. You know, that you can disrupt those star guys as as best you can. And I think Roker, you know, that's where he brings value to Portland. Yeah, and I think from what you were saying earlier, it'll probably be a, a Covington and Derrick Jones Jr. sort of three, four combination then, which really does add some length and athleticism to, to help them on the defensive end. But do you see them being uh, one of your eight teams in the West? I know you've, you've already added the Suns as up there. Do you think that the Trailblazers can break in? Because technically they finished ninth, didn't they, last year? Yeah, the Blazers are... I will have them in just because I think Dame is too good to not put them in. You know, they did have injuries last year and they still missed a lot of time. The thing with Portland is Portland and Utah are the two teams that I think people don't want to be in the playoffs because we're kind of bored of them, but they will make it. Both of those teams are making it. They're just like, they're just too efficient. They've got, they've had the same coaches for years. They know what needs to be done. Yeah, Portland will be in comfortably for me. Cool. Uh, Then the last trade I want to talk about is one that involves my Mavs. So the Josh Richardson, Seth Curry uh, draft night trade. I think this one went a little bit under the radar because we heard about Clay Thompson a few a few hours just before. Uh, obviously, you had the first round draft that everyone was talking about. So I think that this kind of deal wasn't spoken about as much as it should have been. But the Dallas Mavericks send Seth Curry to 76 as dad some much needed shooting uh, and then get back a first round draft pick. They turned into Tyler Bay, who I quite like. I had a first round draft grade on him. Uh, and then they acquired Josh Richardson as well to, to be that almost defensive stopper next to Luca. What are your thoughts uh, on this trade for both teams uh, in terms of their, their, their progress for this year? 
it's another cliche, but I think both teams did win this trade because Dallas needed to trade off some of their offensive dominance for a defensive difference maker. Richardson is a difference maker. He can he can go up against number ones. He's good off ball. He can get his hands in the pass. I mean, I said earlier, Dallas were last in steals. And that's a stat for me that shows difference makers because it's all well and good saying, well, you know, we're in structure, but actually you do need to force turnovers in the NBA. Richardson will help them do that a lot. Uh, Curry, I don't think, was a bad defender. I said earlier, like, he's not awful, but he's not a guy who is going to go and really change the game, and he can be picked on. But for the Sixers, they already have Tybal, they have Simmons, obviously Embiid. They've got all those guys already who are, I think, elite defenders, especially Tybal and Simmons. Um, so I think the move made sense for them. But Dallas, you know, they, they really... And this is the thing, right, with Jay Rich. He's, he's a good shooter. Like, he's he's not Seth Curry. Seth Curry, for me, is a top-five shooter in the league. But Jay Rich, you know, it's not like he's Andre Roberson. He still fits in what the Mavericks are going to do on offense, but he brings them someone who can get in the passing lanes and probably close games. I mean, Dallas could have a very nice lineup to close if you went something like Luca Richardson, Finney Smith, Paul Zingis, and then uh, whether you go Maxi Kleber, Josh Green, whoever you want to put in there, they've got a lot of size. And Richardson, I spoke earlier about versatility being important to depth. He can play the two and the three, which is very important because you can, if you go small, he's a great guy to put at the three because he he's he can match up to people in the post. So he can help you out there. I think he's a really important piece for Rick Carlisle, who... Rick Carlisle, I mean, I've said to you, I think he's the best coach in the league right now, with, you know, with yeah. what's going down in San Antonio at the moment and how they're kind of stagnating. I think he's the best coach in the league. And I think the thing, his hands were tied last year with the defence. I don't think the roster was versatile enough. They didn't have enough big wings who can really go and make a difference. But now they've they've certainly got one. Yeah, he, he'll kind of be the man that like we spoke about earlier when you were talking about... Um, Matthews, uh, in terms of the player that goes guards that star on the other team. Not saying he'll necessarily follow a LeBron James round for the whole game, but he'll be someone that they try and scheme on to the better players when they in key moments. I think, uh, and we saw that times last year, Seth Curry was having to guard Kawhi Leonard in the <laughs> in the playoffs. So when that's happening, you know you're struggling for that sort of two three defensive player. Um, so I can think I think he'll get big minutes as well. But we spoke about this on Twitter, and I was. Get, want to get your opinion on the podcast. Do you think they could use Richardson and or other players in some sort of trade if they don't fancy their chances at Giannis or if Giannis re-signs? Because they're one of the only teams in the NBA that've got a lot of players that are on that 8 to, to 15 million range and Hardaway on 18 million and Johnson on 16 million as well. Yeah, they've got a lot of salaries they can do for what's called salary matching. I think that was the thing with the Heat as well. When they signed Myers Leonard for two years, 20 million, people are like, oh, why have they done that? Well, one, yeah. he's a good player, but two, that's a nice salary to put in to match. And I think Dallas have the same. Uh, they'll probably have to throw, because if you're trading someone, you've got to throw in someone with upside. So, you know, whether that's Jalen Brunson, or, you know, whoever it would be. But I do think they've got the salaries to definitely match up and, you know, hopefully get themselves that third star, but I, I think all their focus is on free agency myself, and I think what will end up happening is Dallas will score a free agent, and then those, you know, the James Johnsons, they will become salary dumps to rebuilding teams. They'll attach, a, you know, a pick to James Johnson, send him to Detroit. I mean, they, they love their power forwards down there. <laughs> or New York, or someone like that, you know, someone who's yeah. not trying to win. Yeah, but I think with their moves in total, they saved $17 million in cap space for next year. So they've got a max spot open. So, yeah, I think they'll do something. And it wouldn't shock me if one day they even traded Porzingis if the injuries don't improve, which, once again, he's out until January. But we'll have to see. Um, in terms of a playoff picture, we spoke about a couple of teams then. What would your ceiling be for the Mavs for that 1-8? Because me and Ben are doing a, a preview show in the next couple of weeks. And I do have the Mavs quite high on my list. But I wanted to see your opinion on where you think they fall in the West. I think the ceiling is the two seed, to be honest. Because the thing, the thing with Dallas last year, right, they would have been a top four seed if they weren't like historically bad in the clutch. And everyone's like, oh, that's on Carlisle. It's not. Clutch stats, they, they're not consistent. They kind of fluctuate from year to year. So if Dallas turns a couple of those close losses into close wins, that's an extra six or seven wins. That plus Luka developing, Porzingis hopefully being healthy, fingers crossed. Improved defense, uh, some actual draft picks that can play. Um, 
I think the ceiling is the two seed. I think the floor. I even if Paul Zingis missed thirty games, I don't think they're out of the playoffs. I just think there's there's too much talent across the roster for that. Yeah, and I think Luca uh, five to one bet for MVP is a is a good one for any any Mavs fans definitely that are listening. <laughs> I think he's got that potential this year to take another step, which would be crazy after arguably having the best second season of all time last year. Would you say? Certainly out there, yeah. I can't think of many more dominant than that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that is our free agency roundup then. Thanks, thanks, Joe, for coming on again. Um, did you want to give everyone your Twitter handle for anyone that wants to follow you for any uh, tweets about Ricky Rubio or any reading on the Mavs <laughs> sort of stuff? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is Joe Holbert NBA. So Holbert is H-U-L-B-E-R-T. And yeah, I'm hopefully getting a couple of articles out this week. Okay, cool. Have you got any players that you can uh, let us know who that might be about, or are they still in the works? Uh, Josh Richardson will definitely be one of them. Um, oh, cool. I was going to do Kevin Porter Jr., but obviously he had some um, some, issues. Say, say some issues lately, so I'm going to delay <laughs> that one. But hopefully he gets himself sorted out, because he's going to be, if he reaches his ceiling, that's a six or seven-time all-star, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I kind of like to look at under-the-radar players. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, and we will speak to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you.